The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no perf- one. No one. <laughs> our preferred vacuum brands, of which we have multiples, and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. So for this episode, I actually reached out to some of my mom friends, and I really wanted to ask their questions for this podcast episode's guest, and it is Eve Rodsky. She's a Harvard Law graduate and a New York Times bestselling author of Fair Play. So one day I was walking through the airport. I saw this book. I picked it up. I started reading it and immediately gave it to one of my friends. I end up on the receiving end of a lot of my friends venting to me about just like how it is not fair in their household. How if either they're a stay-at-home mom, how much work they do that their partner doesn't know, you know, the invisible workload that so many people do day to day, or just how like parenting is split and like a lot of it falls on like the mother or some person in the relationship. Well, Eve is here to help you. This book is amazing. She's also got a card game and she's all about setting boundaries and systems in the home and communication. She really believes that your home life should be functioning like a business and everyone should have clear responsibilities and not being told what to do. And I think this could be really helpful for you if you're just trying to figure out how to balance things in your own household. And before we get into the episode, I am so excited to tell you we have a new Summer Fridays product. It is coming out next week. It launches on March 2nd and it is called Dream Oasis. It is a deep hydration serum. And I just love the name Dream Oasis because when we were thinking of the name, we thought, about a desert and you feel dry and then you come across this oasis and you're dreaming of like this water to quench your thirst. And that's really what I like to think of like the serum doing. It's like quenching your dry skin. It is a weightless jelly-like serum and it delivers instant skin drenching hydration. It is so, so incredible. It's formulated with moisture attracting ingredients. It's got squalene and glycerin, hyaluronic acid, and it's oil-free. It also helps with the appearance of lines and leaves skin feeling soft and silky. And it's also calming. So if you're looking for something to hydrate your skin and calm your skin, it's got a blend of oatmeal, chamomile, and aloe, and it really works to comfort the skin. And as always, we are vegan and cruelty-free and recyclable packaging. It's paraben-free, no synthetic dyes, and sulfate-free. And it's available on March 2nd at summerfridays.com and at Sephora. So be sure to pick up Dream Oasis, our deep hydrating serum available next week. And now let's hear from Eve. So I saw your book in an airport and I bought it because the cover just drew me in. So tell us all about your book. Thanks again for having me. I'm such a huge fan of yours as a woman entrepreneur. I love your cleanser. I use summer Fridays all the time. So thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, I don't think, Mariana, that anybody, you know, sets out in their Hello Kitty third grade journal to become a gendered division of labor specialist. That's definitely not what I think I was writing down as my aspiration, what I wanted to be when I grow up. But for me, Fair Play is really personal. It was a book I wrote out of my own personal experience. This is before the pandemic, before things even got worse for women, where my marriage was almost collapsing over. My, a text my husband sent me. Uh, and that was 10 years ago. When I was texting and driving, I received a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. That text, Mariana, that day, um, that that changed my life. But I want to just let you picture the scene for what was happening to me at that time. 
and then we can get into the broader implications. But for me, I had two kids at the time, 10 years ago when I had this, when I got this text from my husband as I was driving. I also uh, had just opted out of the traditional workforce. And I say that with quotes, uh, air quotes, because I was forced out. I use language matters. I was forced out of the traditional workforce. I'd started my own law firm. I had a client contract in my lap. I was already texting and driving. I had a breast pump and a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car. Gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car. Um, I was marking up a contract from, again, the law firm that I had. To, I started on my own because I felt like I couldn't handle it at all. I was blaming myself at the time. And I remember every time I would hit a stop sign because while I was texting and driving and getting the text from Seth that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. I was on my way to pick up my son, Zach, who was three at the time at his toddler transition program. And in America, because we value working mothers, that's a sarcastic comment. Those programs last about seven minutes and they cost, you know, an arm and a leg. And I remember that day that every time I was racing to pick up Zach and hitting a stop sign, a pen would just stab me in the vagina. That's what I remember that of that day. So that's my metaphor for the chaos that was surrounding me when Seth decides to send me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And I'm from New York, but I live in LA now. And I remember that day so well, because we don't take traffic lightly here in LA. So for me to pull over and start to cry, uh, I knew something was really wrong. And as I was sitting there on the side of the road, sobbing over the fact that my husband thought I was the fulfiller of his smoothie needs, I was thinking to myself, one, um, this is definitely not the career marriage combo I ever thought I was going to have or set myself up for. And two, how had this happened to me where I had become the default, or as I call in fair play, the she fault, even though this, this, this happens in same-sex LGBTQIA couples as well. The nature of what was happening to me felt like the she fault because at the end of the day, we have to honor our lived experience, which is that women hold two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family. And that was a statistic I was undeniably living at the time, but I didn't even know. And that was the day, that was the day that I, I woke up to this unfairness and started to use my mediation background and my background as a lawyer to start to research what was happening to me. I don't even know how this naturally happens. Like how did women become the default parent, the default parent? Well, <laughs> this is the question I set out to answer. And I'll, I'll start with the positive, which is there is a sacred formula there. The secret formula is the reimagination of women's boundaries, systems and communication. And so I think we'll, we can we'll talk about systems and communication because fair play is ultimately a very practical uh, tool for individual family structures, no matter what they are. But I think the boundaries is really important. This idea, when I start to ask women spe specifically, do they believe that they have a permission to be unavailable? Do they believe that they have a permission from themselves, their partner or society to be unavailable from their roles as parents, partners, professionals, workers, any identity that's in service to others. And this is a such an interesting phenomenon, Mariana, because this affects women of every structure imaginable. This idea that we don't have a permission to be unavailable from our roles. And even more importantly, this is a deeper issue 
that was the core finding of fair play. And the core finding of fair play, this deep, deep seated issue is ultimately we as a society, we view and value men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds. And we treat and value women's time as if it's infinite, like sand. So that sounds super esoteric. So what do I mean by that? Well, we know that if women enter a male profession, if women enter a profession occupied by men, salaries automatically go down. We know that we say as a society that breastfeeding is free. I'll tell you, it definitely was not free if you care about my time. That was hundreds and hundreds of hours of time I felt I spent attempting to breastfeed my three kids. And more importantly, it was women, though. Why Fair Play ultimately was written to women as a love letter to women was because there were so many things, Mariana, that we were doing and saying as women uh, all over the world. I, I interviewed women in 17 countries that ultimately devalued our own time. Let's take a quick break to talk about Parallel. You know I love this vitamin, so I've been incorporating it into my routine for the last few weeks, and Parallel is the only OBGYN-founded vitamin for women. They recently launched their new Women's Daily Vitamin Trio. It is formulated by a team of leading women's health doctors, including OBGYNs, endocrinologists, and naturopathic doctors. So unlike any other brand, their founding doctors were able to apply their clinical studies to the product development process, which is why Parallel prides itself as a complete and functional vitamin solution. So for example, did you know that taking high doses of biotin can throw off your lab results and lead to misdiagnosed thyroid issues? That's why Parallel only uses 30 micrograms, which is also the recommended dietary allowance by the Food and Nutritional Board. You may also be surprised to learn that Parallel's doctors have been seeing many patients who are overdosing themselves with beauty supplements, which can result in liver inflammation. So with Parallel, you can rest assured that you're getting everything you need and nothing that you don't. So no more overdosing or underdosing yourself. And that's why I love the trio because you don't have to try to figure out what to take or how much they take so much of the guesswork out of it. It's called a multivitamin and omega and a beauty blend, which is amazing because it supports hair, skin and nail health. And it's only $38 a month. So if you want to try exclusively for life with Mary and the listeners, Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months of Parallel with code Mariana15. Head to parallel.co, it's .co, not .com. And if you don't love it, you can cancel at any time and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's Mariana15 at parallel.co. So who exactly is this book for? Well, it's for women or those who identify with women or their role. And it's for anybody who's in a role. And again, this is why... LGBTQIA families are were 33% of my research. I just spoke to this wonderful conference called the Rainbow Families, where these dynamics come up as well. Because ultimately, I'm writing to people who've ever said one of these four things to themselves. If you've ever said to yourself, you're the reason, you're the one who's picking up the blueberries or uh, the your kid from when they're sick at school, because one your job is more flexible or your partner makes more money than you. If you've ever said that, if you've ever said to yourself, I'm a better multitasker, I'm wired differently for caregiving. If you've ever said to yourself in the time it takes me to tell him, her, they, what to do, I should just do it myself. Or my favorite, yes, we're both uh, two colorectal surgeons, but my partner can find, you know, is better focusing on one task at a time and I can find the time. If you've ever said any of those things to yourself, 
I'm writing to you. Because those are all messages where women's time is being treated like sand, uh, as if it's infinite, where we have been complicit in our own oppression to say these things to ourselves, where we would never, we would never be saying these things to ourselves if we we were conditioned in a place where our time was as valued the same as men's time. And so I'm yes, 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 yes. I'm shaking my head yes to all of it because it's like I hear all of my friends all the time and even, you know, myself and like the other roles that I have like in my life where I like that you said it's interchangeable because it it can apply to other areas other than parenting. And I don't have kids yet, but I am really scared about how it will change my life. So what expectations should I have before even starting a family for myself and my partner? Like how should we go into it so that we can have the right conversations to set the tone before like making this big life change? Okay, right. So then, so then we'll, we'll talk to you in, in the hetero cisgender context. But again, recognizing that this applies um, in many contexts. But I'm also married to a man. I have two privileges, Mariana, for why this shouldn't have happened to me. I'm highly educated. I'm a Harvard trained mediator. I'm literally trained to use my voice. My day job is I work for families that look like the HBO show Succession. And your listen, listeners should feel bad for me because it's hard work. But what I do for those families is I create grace and humor and generosity around their most difficult decisions. And I literally am trained in difficult conversations. And on top of that, I'm a product of a single mother. So I grew up in a household where I watched one woman do it all and struggle. And I became her parental child where I helped her with eviction notices. I was the one babysitting my disabled brother so my mother could work nights. And so I remember vowing from an early age that I would have an equal partner in life. And the reason why I say that is because I married that equal partner. I married somebody who was a self-professed feminist, who believed in the, the power of me being in the, in the world and, and the workforce, who believed in my power as an equal, who ordered dinner when I would do the dishes and I would do the dishes at when, if he ordered dinner, would take turns doing laundry. And every single thing changed when we had our first child everything. It's like, you know, when that the music stops in the middle of the party and you hear that record scratch. And so what happens and what I learned subsequently is that the she fault has a name. Many names, actually. We've been talking about this for a hundred years. You may have heard the term second shift, mental load, emotional labor, but my favorite was the term invisible work, Mariana, because I thought it was such an important term. It was a term coined in 1986 by a sociologist. And her point was that, of course, it's going to change because when women have children, we are often hated by society. We are tolerated in the workforce because, as my friend Amy Westervelt says, we expect women to work as if they don't have kids and have kids as if they don't work. And so we get into this bind and you you add onto that this layer of Pinterest perfect parenting where you see people making, you know, quinoa Elsa pancakes for their children for their lunchboxes. And you realize that we're in a lose-lose situation for women that takes us into severe costs, like our mental health, our identity, our physical health, and our careers. In fact, we just saw women, you know, we have 3 million women who were forced out of the workforce because of primarily because of their childcare and extra housework that they just did during the pandemic. 
So I'm talking, this is a political movement. This is a global issue. And the most important thing that I could say to you, your listeners and to you is that it requires that secret formula of boundaries, systems, and communication. And we'll talk about systems and communication now, but I want to assert to you that your time is diamonds. And once you have a child, your time is even more diamonds. Your time is platinum plus diamonds. And, and so on and so on. Because at the end of the day, for me, what was happening, and this is what the statistics show, men do five to 10 hours a week less after kids come along. And in fact, men are taking twice as much leisure time as women. And so I, in my relationship with Seth, had to assert that I deserved as much time choice over how I use my day as he, as he had. And I said to Seth, you have four hours after our kids go to bed to check sports center, finish a PowerPoint deck and work out. Well, I'm doing childcare and housework in service of our home till the minute my head hits the pillow at midnight. And that is fundamentally unfair. It is not what this relationship is set up to be. My time is diamonds and I'm asserting that boundary now. And I, I'm taking my time back. I'm reclaiming my time. That's the hardest part. And that's why I spend so much time on it because we've been conditioned for decades, I was on this earth for 35 years before I understood what society had done to me. And so you talk about the boundaries of communication. How do we implement this into our lives? Well, I think the, so boundaries, you've heard me now say that our time is diamonds and we can collectively grab a spiritual friend and make sure that they help us keep that, that mantra in the, in the front of our heads. But the most important thing is that, as you said, is that we have the systems and communication to set up the right patterns and habits before kids come along, or at least when they're young and we can change our habits and our patterns. Not to say that uh, I don't have second marriages and older couples in the fair play world and our system, but I do think, Mariana, the audience you're talking about, you setting up these systems and habits early are what's going to change your life and your parenting style. And I know that because I have my thousands and thousands of fair play beta testers now. So let's get dig into the, to the practical. I just want to just give you the uh, cliff notes of what fair play is about. It is not rocket science, but it's not how we do things. When I was suffering and researching this issue, Mariana, around fair play, I did what any type A woman would do. I started a spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. I called it the, yes. <laughs> I called it the shit I do. It was inspired by the invisible work. Uh, article I'd read, as I told you about, where I started to ask women like you and women all over the world. And again, in 17 countries, what do you do that's invisible to your partner or to your kids that takes more than two minutes? And I started to write and write and write for nine months. I had women chiming in that I didn't know. I remember one woman said to me, you forgot Elf on the Shelf. And I said, nope, I did not forget Elf on the Shelf. You just have to learn how to use Excel. Scroll to tab 72 if you go to tab 72, you'll see magical beings. If you scroll down to item six under Santa, you'll see Elf on the Shelf. Or one woman who said to me, I don't see sunscreen on here. And I was like, oh yeah, it's there. It's under medical and healthy living. It's tab number 17. And if it's two minutes to apply sunscreen, but if you have children, it's 30 minutes for the chase. And it was that fun and granular. And it took me nine months. I ended up with 2000 items of invisible work. And I used all my communication training to send it to Seth. 
I say that sarcastically because most of us do not know how to communicate about domestic life. And that's what fair play is mostly about. But I sent off the spreadsheet, the 19 million megabyte spreadsheet to Seth with the subject line, can't wait to discuss. And as I write in fair play, Marianne, I didn't even get the courtesy of a three monkey trio. I just got uh, one sad monkey covering its eyes, the see no evil monkey emoji in response to my can't wait to discuss spreadsheet email. And I realized then something really important that lists alone don't work. We've been making lists for a hundred years. They don't work. They lead to what the gender term nagging, they lead to us having to remind people we get helpers, not partners. And so that was the day when I received Seth's response to that spreadsheet, I realized that I could lose myself in the um, overwhelm of the invisible work of childcare and housework, or I could get my ass in gear and become my own client. And then I asked the most important question I've asked over the next, the last 10 years that I ever asked, and I probably will ever ask. And that was, what if we treated our homes as our most important organizations? I know it wouldn't look the way it looks now. It wouldn't look like we're taking, we're deciding who's taking the dog out for, you know, for a walk, right? When it's about to take a piss on the rug. I know it wouldn't look like we're both setting the, you know, we're trying to set the table, we're already hangry and we're cranky. I knew that it would look different. And I knew that if I could bring in the same organizational lens that I use at work and that most people use in their workplace, and I'm sure you do with Summer Fridays, this idea of an ownership mindset, that you would never walk into your boss's office and say, hey, what should I be doing today? I'll just wait here till you tell me what to do. Even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group has more clearly defined expectations in the home. You don't bring snack twice and you're out. But the home wasn't like that at all. And so it was this idea of looking at the home as our most important organization and starting to set up systems so that just like at work, we have what Apple coined the directly responsible individual. We have what Netflix calls context, not control. I asked the question, how could I bring those learnings that I've used for a decade in the workplace into our homes. And ultimately I started to build fair play, the system. So the other day I was posting on my Instagram stories about a capsule wardrobe and how there's a couple of things that you need to like really complete an outfit. And jewelry is one of those things that you could have the most simple outfit on, but putting on dainty jewelry just really makes all of it come together and it always just makes me feel a little bit more put together. So if you guys are looking for some dainty jewelry, you can try out Goryana. Goryana offers jewelry you can live in. The brand is known for dainty, lightweight diamonds and 14 karat solid gold. It is the perfect finishing touch for any outfit. They also offer free gift wrap and free shipping year round. So it makes jewelry the perfect gift for a loved one or for yourself. The brand is a family business. It's owned and operated by a husband and wife team, and they are based in Laguna Beach, California. Customer service is so important to them. So that's why the brand offers a lifetime happiness guarantee on all orders. So if anything ever breaks or even gets lost, the brand will replace or repair it for you at no cost. You can shop online at goriana.com or any of their stores nationwide. So if you are looking to build your capsule wardrobe and need some quality jewelry to wear with everything, I love the Venice layering set. You can wear them together or separate. They look great day and night. And even just like with a simple tank. And I love the eight millimeter huggies because I just feel so good with like a tiny pair of gold hoops. I love them with just about anything, even just working out. And I always have to have my jewelry with me no matter where I am traveling or 
going to like shoot content. So head to goriana.com slash Mariana to receive a free jewelry roll so you can take your jewelry from coast to coast. Again, they're offering an exclusive gift with purchase for Mariana listeners. Head to goriana.com slash Mariana for your free jewelry roll. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay, so it sounds really great. Like, okay, of course, you know, women hear this and like, okay, I want to do this. But then it comes like this guilt. And I know you said, you know, with boundaries, there is permission to be unavailable. But why as women do we feel bad even asking for something we deserve? And like, how do you get comfortable with talking to your partner about needing, you know, more of a partnership at home? A great question. Well, I think guilt and shame are very powerful tools of the patriarchy, if you want my honest answer. I think they allow societies to continue to be built on the backs of the unpaid labor of women, which is a reckoning I think we can no longer afford to have. We're doing $10.9 trillion of unpaid labor a year. This is because they have to say no more. So yes, I think so on a global level, I think we're here to unpack the fact that guilt and shame are, are toxic. They are not useful in this context of domestic labor. And for me, it really took an understanding and a reckoning again about why it was that I was protecting and valuing Seth's time as more important than mine. And what I recognize is also, not only do we live in a patriarchy, but we live in a capitalist society where we often decide that conversations are going to be traded for money. So what do I mean by that? Well, so many of us do not want to have conversations about domestic life because I heard so many women say, well, my partner makes more money than me. So of course I feel guilty asking for what I need because I'm already not making as much money as them. So we substitute who's doing what in the home based on who's making less money. And that's a terrible, terrible pattern to get into because that's what I fell into. And then one day I woke up and said, wait a second. I make more, may make more less money than Seth because I'm in philanthropy and he's in private equity, but my job's more valuable. And I actually only get 24 hours in a day, just like he does. And so why am I assuming that because Seth brings in more money to our household structure, that I should be doing more housework and childcare? The other way guilt gets us is it gets us because we are uh, somehow convinced that we are some we are the better multitaskers that women are meant to do this that we're supposed to be doing unpaid labor out of love and i remember Mariana, one time i had this amazing conversation with a neuroscientist because i went to his office to ask him are women better multitaskers because i heard that as a toxic tie message from so many women and he looked at me and of course he said there's no gender difference in how we multitask it's bad for everyone But he looked at me and said, wait a second, why are you asking me this? And I said, well, because I don't want women to feel somehow that they're guilted into doing all this stuff for love and that they're better at it. And, And he said, well, we men have convinced you women that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. And that served me in my marriage because my wife doesn't even ask me. She takes pride in doing all of the housework and childcare and doesn't even ask me because she thinks I can't do it. And she takes pride in being better at the wiping of the asses and doing of the dishes. So I'm not sure I want you to debunk this because I get a lot of leisure time and golf time and I got tenure really early because of these notions. 
And he was kidding around, but I think it's a very powerful and important statement to recognize that guilt and shame have nowhere, they have no place in our, in our world when it comes to these issues. And so what I will ask you all to do, what I did was I took a piece of origami paper and I wrote in a Sharpie, I wrote guilt and shame on a piece of origami paper. And you don't want to do this where you're going to catch anything on fire. But I, I put a match, I struck a match to this origami paper when I was about to go on my book tour and quote unquote, leave my family for five weeks. I burned this origami piece of paper that said guilt and shame on it. And I talked to guilt and shame and said, you were very helpful for me when I was young. Shame and guilt probably got me to study hard when I needed to get out of, you know, my, my dysfunctional upbringing, but I don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore. And now from ever, forever on, I use what my good friend, Dr. Cheryl Gonzalez Ziegler told me, which is instead of saying, I feel guilty because I always say I made that decision because. And then I think once you want to do this and you want to implement this, like, how do you even come to your partner and say, like, we need to change what's happening here? Or like, if lists don't work with them, what does work? Or how do you start sharing responsibilities? Well, I think the most important thing, if we can recognize that there is power in the ownership mindset, right? So I want to say what men resonated, what, why did Fair Play also become a love letter to men? Because they really resonated with this idea of the ownership mindset. And what I mean by that is starting to educate. And, and of course, yes, it's on us. And that is hard. And my mother always says to me, why you know, can't men just know these things? But part of our job and responsibility is pushing back against systems that don't serve us and taking agency in our own life. And part of that was starting to educate Seth and say things like, I genuinely appreciate that you think you are in charge of extracurricular sports by bringing our sons to the Little League field on Saturday. But here's all the invisible work, what I call in fair play, the conception and planning that gets to your execution of bringing them to the park. I survey their friends to see what sports they want to play. I research leagues to see what leagues they want to be in. I log onto a scroll, a form portal from 1985 that doesn't work. I'm printing out five copies of their consent forms and looking for their birth certificates. I'm ordering cleats on Amazon and returning the cleats when they don't fit. And on top of that, I'm in an 85-person carpool text chain. And Seth, when you handle all of that, the ownership mindset, that's actually owning the conception planning execution for extracurricular sports. And so for Seth, it was an awakening to understand that he genuinely just saw the execution and he really didn't see the conception and planning that went behind all the things we do. And so that's part of the fair play idea is that I give you these cards. I give you a tool to say, sit down with each of the cards. There's 60 cards if you're partnered or have a roommate, and then you add 40 cards. 40 potential cards if you have kids. So that is almost almost double your workload. So you may want to decide whether or not you want kids or if you already have them, we all know they're really, they really do throw a wrench in all of your plans and in a good existential way, but in a lot of day-to-day stress and, and harm to your relationship, unless we can understand that we deserve 
to have a less encumbered mind. And that means we have to have our partner adopt an ownership mindset. So the hardest part, as you said, is getting the communication moving. So let's let's talk about the three steps of communication. So the, let's start with the first idea of when the three steps of communication. Number one, we have to already recognize we're communicating. Step one is recognizing your vulnerabilities and recognizing that I'm asking you to think of this as a shift in communication and not a start. So what do I mean by that? Well, so many of you, maybe listeners will say to me, and I know this from my research, I don't communicate about domestic life or I can't raise these things. I've tried and it's too triggering. So one woman said that to me. And then uh, 20 minutes later, unironically, she says, every time my partner forgets to put the laundry in the dryer, I dump it on his pillow. There is a Facebook group during COVID. Everybody sends me everything now, which I love. That's called The Reasons I Hate My Husband and Kids During COVID. And it's a 27,000 member Facebook group out of the UK. And one woman posted this really harsh message that if my partner, my husband dies during COVID, it'll be because of me and not the disease. So I DM her and I say, wow, you know, that was a powerful statement. How do you communicate about domestic life? And she responded to me, I don't communicate about domestic life. This is my safe space. So rule number one is recognizing that so many of us are feeling like publicly threatening to murder our partners to strangers feel safer than having direct conversations and communication with our partners. That can't be the case. We cannot live like that. So number one is recognizing that we are already communicating. And as a mediator, I can go on five times today and I'll see uh, how you communicated through your Nest Cam and I wouldn't even need to see your audio on. So we have to recognize our own vulnerabilities. So that's one, that we're already communicating. Number two, the most popular vulnerability that women were willing to admit to in my research in now, you know, 10 years of speaking to thousands and thousands of women in all family structures was feedback in the moment. I can't avoid the tone or the verbal assassin of saying, get the fucking sponge out of the sink. Go back to the store before 10. Thanks for the flowers, but I need the dishwashing detergent. It is a constant feedback in the moment loop. And then what ends up happening, the number one thing that men were willing to admit to in terms of their vulnerability was a boiling over from avoidance and avoidance to the fact that they did not want to have these conversations. So they would avoid it and avoid till they come and just blew up. So those patterns of feedback in the moment and avoidance are highly toxic. So number one is recognize we're already communicating. Number two, recognize that it's probably a lot of feedback in the moment and avoidance. And number three, the most important thing I could tell you is that if feedback in the moment and avoidance are toxic, we have to find a time to ritualize communication as our most important practice. Nobody thinks of communication as a practice. They think of it as a means to an end. So number three is saying, even if we can't have these conversations yet, because we're not there, I want to see your face for 10 minutes a day. We will set timers to make it a ritual. We'll bring tacos and tequila, but 10 minutes a day, invest in your relationship. Like you're investing in hand sanitizer, like you're investing in, in your meditation practice. 
That 10-minute-a-night check-in when emotion is low and cognition is high is the most important thing that all of my Fair Play users, my thousands of Fair Play users, tens of thousands now of Fair Play users, say has been the biggest difference in their life. When they can communicate via practice and using communication as a ritual, not just a means to an end. Today, I'm going to share a little bit about Macy's and what they're doing with the 15% pledge. So the 15% pledge was started by Aurora James and Macy signed on in 2020. And ever since then, they have tripled the number of black owned brands that they carry. They're committed to using their purchasing power to represent and benefit the black community. And Macy's is celebrating black creators and visionaries who are building legacy and influencing culture and style. So I wanted to share a few brands and products for you to try. Harlem Candle Co. has a Lady Day Luxe Candle. I love having candles all over my home. It has got such a beautiful luxe design and it's got neroli blossom and bergamot and it also smells a little bit velvety with gardenia and jasmine and it also has coffee flower and I love the smell of like coffee in my home. And speaking of coffee, Soap Distillery has a iced coffee body scrub, like yum, the smell of iced coffee. And it says it smells like coffee, mint, and vanilla. It is a body scrub that you can use all over. It's got raw cane sugar, coffee grounds, and coconut oil. Macy's also carries nude bar and they have body wear that actually matches your skin tone and they have so many different hues to find your perfect match. Macy's also carries beauty stat and it's founded by Ron Robinson, who's an internet friend of mine and I love his products and his brand. He is a veteran cosmetic chemist. So definitely check out his products. Join in supporting black history and black brilliance by shopping black owned brands. You can help fund scholarships for students at historically black colleges and universities by donating online and rounding up in store for UNCF. Learn more at Macy's.com slash honors. How do you communicate without nagging? Because I can hear my friends like I asked him to unload the dishwasher 10 times. I'm not even going to ask again. I'm just going to do it. Because you've never talked about your home life as a system. So nagging is what I call in fair play, the rat fuck. Nobody wants to live with rats in their home. And if your home is infested with them, people will move out. And the rat fuck is the random assignment of a task. I had a man at White Plains, New York, tell me that he divorced over a glue stick. And Mariana, we can unpack that in a different episode. But it is this idea that we don't communicate about our systems. Our We don't customize our defaults for who's doing what. We don't have the conversation until we're, we're hungry or hangry and until we're unloading that dishwasher. Who wants to help me with the dishes? Asses, I used to say, asses up. Nobody can have their ass down to my asses down. Everyone's looking all confused. Like, what am I even talking about? Pick something, you know, read my mind. These things don't work. And so what I'm asking is for us to start treating our homes as our most important organization. And if you join an organization, what you're going to get is you're going to get some version of a handbook, some sort of company culture and onboarding. And so part of this is onboarding and the ritual of communication. One of the onboarding rituals is saying, okay, we can't talk about domestic life. It's too triggering. Let's just invest for two weeks and a 10 minute a night check-in. When you're at that check-in, you can say things like, I'm really excited for us to get more efficiency in our home. And I'd love to start thinking about what the pandemic did for us, what we can take off our plates, what we can keep on our plates. Would you be up for discussing how we can bring more efficiency so we can both get more leisure time and time for our our relationship. I feel like we're losing that special connection time. You can start having those types of conversations where you sit down, you check in, how are you doing? And then, and then before you can get to who does what, that's what I mean. You're going to be 
reminding someone to take out the dishes forever and ever, unless you invest in the building your, your, your life together, the building, the buy-in so that no, never again can your partner say, my partner does all these unnecessary things. That's what I was hearing often in heterosexual marriages. Men would say, well, I can't help because my wife does all these unnecessary things. And I would say, what's unnecessary? Feeding your kids, clothing them, washing dishes. But it was like always like thank you notes or you know signing up for the meal train. But, the, but it's the idea that we are building a life together. And how do we want to look at this? And you start thinking about your why. And so I'll just end on a very quick story about the tooth fairy, because I think it's a beautiful story I heard recently about this couple. This couple, they start to think about what they care about in the pandemic, and they were using the fair play cards, which is a metaphor. It's 100 tasks. They were going through them. They were I love this story. Like yeah. Children's birthday parties. They told me that they decided never to go to another child's birthday party ever again, unless it's one of their kids' best friends. But they did keep in the magical beings card that we talked about earlier. The tooth fairy is one of those magical beings. And I'll call them Joe and Marissa. Joe decided to take that card, the magical beings card. He said, I'm going to be the tooth fairy. So Marissa is like, okay, we both care about it. We decided on a minimum standard of care, which I talk about in Fair Play. Their minimum standard of care is not to have crazy rainbow cards and glitter. It's just a dollar under the pillow. And the first night that Joe is a tooth fairy, he forgets to put the money under the pillow. So Marissa says to me, before fair play, before we were invested in these conversations, what I would have done is I would have used my toxic feedback in the moment and said, oh my God, you forgot the money under the pillow. You've ruined our lives. I will never trust you with anything again. You've ruined the joy of our daughter. She'll never believe in anything again. You know, this all or nothing feedback in the moment language, very common. And then Joe said he would have blamed Marissa for not reminding him to put the dollar under the pillow. After fair play, what happened was since they already agreed he was going to do it, he took ownership. He owned his mistake and said, it was my fault that I did not get the dollar under the pillow. And thank you for letting me carry through my mistake. He tells me he emails toothfairy at gmail.com. He gets a response from this account that says, thank you for contacting me. I'm sorry I didn't come to your house. I was backlogged. He printed out the email for his daughter. He showed his daughter and said, the tooth fairy didn't come last night because she was backlogged. But the good news is if she's running late, she brings double the money. And that small story, that small story is all I can tell you about how couples are starting to communicate now. There's such small interactions, but for me, they mean so much because I see that couple and how they're going to start modeling different patterns for their daughter. I love that. And what I love about that too is, I feel like it's such a special story, but it's not a way of being like, cause I think what a lot of women do too, is like when uh, somebody does something one time or a partner, or a husband, you want to praise them. <laughs> and I feel like right. it's like, why are we praising and thanking them when these are just the things that you just should be doing? Like, you don't tell me thank you for every single tiny thing I do. So why do I feel like I have to, oh, thank you so much for taking care of the tooth fairy or thank you so much for doing this thing when I feel like you're a partner and you should just be doing these things. Absolutely. And by the way, that's such an important point that I never get to talk about gratitude because my editor actually asked me that exact same thing. She said, how come in your rules, you don't have anything about thanking the other person? <laughs> and I said to her, because what I've learned is that gratitude is not an input of the system. It's an output of the system. 
Meaning that Seth and I are so grateful for each other now. But if you told me early on when I was the fulfiller of his smoothie needs and my marriage was falling apart, that I was supposed to thank him for taking over, taking our kids to school or taking our kids to the doctor, I would have said, fuck you. Smoothies. <laughs> There's no Those way. Smoothie needs. I, That's hilarious. Yes, right? I am not, I am not going to thank him for taking the kids to the doctor because that is what he should be doing. Right. So this idea of gratitude is a very interesting one. I really believe it comes from the doing, you know, it's sort of like, you know, that love languages book where everyone's Mm -hmm. like, I'm a this or I'm a that. What I found is that it's not really all love languages are created equal. It's sort of a Maslow's hierarchy of love languages where acts of service are on the bottom. And I remember women would say to me, um, well, yours is acts of service, but you know, I would like a gift. And I said, well, that's because your partner's already holding you know, 50 cards. Yeah, my husband doesn't do anything. So I need him to take our kids to school and then I'll ask for a gift. You know, that's my gift. Let him let me sleep in, you know, let him plan our Mother's Day. So he's not saying to me, hey, what are we doing for brunch on Mother's Day? You know, and so it's it, it's it's starting where you are. And if you have an involved partner, I'll say yes. Instead of saying this doesn't apply to me, I would say instead become a cultural warrior with us and show off your, your marriage that feels fair, your partnership that feels fair. If you're LGBTQIA couple and you're falling into the, well, my husband does less because he makes more money than me. Recognize that these patterns are often due not just to the patriarchy, but to capitalism. And finally, we are all in this together because I think that's what I care most about. Part of this cultural movement is saying that the home is so dangerous, Mariana, because we really do think we're fighting over blueberries or who left the sponge in the sink or gratitude. You didn't say thank you to me. But really, this is about a much bigger issue. And that issue is how we value women's time. And that once we recognize that we just get 24 hours in a day and we deserve as much time choice as our male counterparts of how we use that time, I do believe that it becomes easier to start asserting Uh, our permission to be unavailable, to say, I want to look at this in a new way and have a communication shift to a a system with more efficiency where I will get back time for uninterrupted attention for things that I love, something I haven't had during the pandemic. It is a crucial, crucial change for women to step into their full power in the world. I truly believe men have to step into their full power in the home. Thank you so much. I feel like this was so insightful. I can't wait for this to be sent to all of my friends. I'm going to send them a link to this episode because I feel like it's so helpful. So where can everyone buy the book and the cards? They can find me always at Fair Play Life on Instagram or Eve Rodsky. That one's a little bit more political. And Fair Play Life has all the tools. And of course, anywhere books are sold, you can find the cards and the book. And then Mariana, if you, before kids, I would love to do, I'll do a session with you and your partner. I would love that to do. uh, That's some of my favorite things is still to do the work uh, on the ground with couples because I, I, the interviewing stage, the beta testing phase, the, the now living in fair play for two years of all the thousands of couples that are on our journey with us. It's still my favorite thing to do to actually work with individual families and couples. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.